Welcome to Hockey Night in New York, where Islanders hockey always reigns supreme. Whether you were raised at the barn in Uniondale or born in the stable at Belmont, Hockey Night in New York is your home for all things Isles. Now, let's drop the puck and get this party started. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Hockey Night in New York. Welcome to the program, everyone. It is Sunday, January 22nd, 2023. Coming at you live from Floored Media in Rockville Center. Another big show coming up for you tonight here on Long Island. Islander alumni Adrian O'Coin will be joining us. Can't wait to talk to him. Sitting down with me tonight is Mr. Chris Botta. My name is Sean Cuthbert. How we doing? I'm doing great. Born in the stable in Belmont. That's right. Uh, I, I, keep, I, want you, I, keep, I keep on thinking about what that means. So. <laughs> How do you feel about Who's that, Who's born in the... If you're born in... Uh, well, okay. Go ahead. <laughs> Your fandom, Chris? You got you to gotta think outside the box. I like it. Here. I like it. Go. Well, that's good. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. <laughs> For joining the show here at Hockey Night in New York. I want to thank uh, all our sponsors, starting with Blue Line Deli and Bagels. We are proud to be presented by Blue Line Deli and Bagels, located at 719 West Jericho Turnpike in Huntington, 217 Carlton Avenue in East Islip, and of course, UBS Arena at Belmont. Also proud to be sponsored by Lost Farmer Brewing Company, located at 63A 2nd Street in Mineola. And proud to be sponsored by brand new sponsor, Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village. On Long Island's North Shore, games for sale and for play, food and drink, beer and wine, fun and friends. Bring the magic of phones down, eyes up, tabletop board games to your family. Our staff will help you find the right game for you from old favorites to the hottest new releases. We have everything from strategic to easy party games. Get off your screens and unplug your game for a night your family will remember. Looking for meetups to join? Our Magic the Gathering, Dungeons and Dragons, or Game Night Live communities are welcoming for all. We also do parties and corporate events, and we're located at 307 Main Street in Huntington Village. Go to MainSTBoardGameCafe.com for more information. Main Street Board Game Cafe. Find your crowd. Unplug your game. So let's get right to it, Sean. Oh, okay. I mean, you know, we don't need to <laughs> recap the four games. We know they're 1-5-3 and three in their last nine. How do you feel at this very moment on Sunday night going into a big game against the Toronto Maple Leafs on Monday about your New York Islanders? Oh, I feel great, Chris. Oh, good. Okay, good. This, uh... the show, let's... <laughs> uh, yeah, this past week was, you know, it's the first show being done this season where they had not won at least one game hmm. in the week previous. Okay. So they have four games that they played. Lost them all. We all know that. And you can you can deliberate over which was the most crushing but the point I wanted to make from this week was you actually had a clip that we pulled from a show earlier in the season. You had said that, you know, when the Islanders are up against it, essentially, they always find a way to win that game that kind of brings them back into the mix. And I think Monday night, the beginning of this week, was that game with the Washington Capitals. Divisional, they were trying to catch them. You know, that was a big two points. I mean, they were supposed to win that game before the game started. Then they went up 3 to nothing. They were really supposed to win that game. They end up collapsing. They lose it in overtime. They, they give the two points to the Caps. They only get one. And I think that's the first time this season where they failed to kind of follow that pattern of, you know, when they're up against the wall a little bit, they kind of find their way back and they start rattling off wins. And that was, a, I think, a, a, a critical game for the Islanders. It could have been a look, in the, a look in the mirror moment for them, too. Maybe they pick it up for the rest of the week. That didn't happen. They just continued to spiral for the rest of the week. And now you have, you know, you check out social media and, and everybody's kind of up in arms about where this team is going now. So how do I feel about the Islanders right now? Not great. Okay. No, and I understand that. And uh, listen, the team right now, they're, they're breaking down. 
The wheels are coming off, all those things. It's, it's alarming. Uh, it's troubling. The fans, observers, everybody has every right and every reason to be concerned. The thing I'm coming at, and I mentioned it last week too, is that in this story of a season and doing this every week, it is just way too early to start talking about fire Lou Lamorello, <laughs> make all these changes, do all this. They, the, the fans don't need us, me, to read the standings for them. But I would suggest that everybody do take a look at them. And I know that in some cases the other teams have games in hand. But they are, the Islanders are six points behind the Rangers. They are three points out of a playoff spot. The team currently in that playoff spot is Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is not very good. You know, the reason why they are still in it is because some of these teams around them had their stumbles already. Mm -hmm. Florida, look like, you know, would they ever figure it out? Buffalo, Buffalo's all over the place. Mm -hmm. Pittsburgh, um, you know, the Islanders are having theirs now. I'm not here to say and to be Mr. Happiness here. Nobody's mm. ever freaking accused me of that. <laughs> but I'm not here to say that this is a great team and that they're going to make it or any of that happy horseshit. okay? But there are 34 games to go. We need to stop temporarily with the whining the broadcast, the broadcast <laughs> right. last night started talking about how tough the schedule is. I'm, I'm not, I'm not um, um, shading here. I'm going to be specific about uh, Brendan and Butch meaning well. The schedule's so tough, and now they have Toronto, and now they have Vegas. They said this with a couple minutes left. Yeah, they have Toronto, and they have Vegas this week. They also have Ottawa, who sucks. They suck. The Islanders okay. might suck too, but, but, but that, <laughs> so that's an even game. And then okay. they have Detroit at home. And Detroit doesn't beat anybody either. So, like, so, so, but it's it's like where we get into this mode in the country here, Islanders country, where it's, oh, no, and get rid of everybody, and this schedule's too tough, to the point where we're ignoring the two games in the middle of a four-game schedule. So, things to understand here, and I know people do, but Lou Lamorello is not getting fired. He's not getting fired in the next month, two, three. Teams rarely, if ever, in the NHL fire their general managers in the middle of the season. And of all the guys who might get it in the middle of the season, Lou Lamorello is not one. Right. Again, there will come a day for that discussion. Right now, I believe if you're a fan, if you're an interested observer in this team, what you want to see is them fight and fight and fight, including Lou Lamorello and the coaching staff, to get into the dance. If that means coming in eighth by one point, fine. But right now you're playing for to get in, to get the experience, so that Holmstrom plays and Ratu plays and maybe one or two other players, including a player in Bridgeport who, who isn't here right now in Bulldog or somebody like that. Like, like, you have to play for something, and with 34 games left, 68 points on the line, it's just too early to get into the, um, you know, let, let's start trading off guys. Last year, Lou wound up not trading anybody, and I understand that was a mistake. Clutterbuck, for example. But my expectations aren't there yet. <laughs> I think we just have to take a little bit of a breath and see how these next few weeks play out.
Well, not only did he not trade Clutterbuck, he signed him. He extended him. Extended him. So he's a guy he wanted in the locker room regardless of of what was going on last season. But, look, you know better than anybody else. This is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately kind of business. Yeah, sure. And the Islanders haven't done much for the fan base yet. This So far, this week, Mm -hmm. lately, they haven't done much, right? And, look, I mean, you see it all the time, right? They go on a four- or five-game winning streak. When are we trading for Patrick Kane? When are we getting Bo Horvat? You know, so we can fly further up the standings. They drop four or five in a row, or right now, two out of the first. They win two out of the first 11 games in January. Now it's who are we unloading? What's, well, are we going to retool or are we going to rebuild? You got the, the trade deadline coming up in less than two months. What are they going to do? And, and, look, that's the nature of, of fandom, whether it's, whether it's Islander fans or otherwise. But, I mean, that's just the roller coaster of being a sports fan. Maybe even a, a New York sports fan if you're a Jets, Mets, or Islander fan because that's how this thing se- seems to go. That's why it worked out really <laughs> nicely that Adrian Acoin is going to join us. This is a guy who's been on teams, on good teams that have slumped, on power plays that have slumped, and I really wanted to get his perspective in addition to talking about his time on the island. One more thing is, and I understand that Lane Lambert is not going to be John Tortorella in the post game with the speeches or mm-hmm. even Barry Trotz for that matter. You are what you are, and that's fine. I would even suggest to Lane that he could dial it down even more in terms of the words. He's he's getting into traps where, as Andrew mentioned in the uh, on our show last week, mm-hmm. that he admitted about the guys, you know, maybe grabbing the sticks too tight. Mm-hmm. I think it's time for Lane. Uh, who, again, seems like a quality person and a quality hockey man, uh, to stand up, stand tall, push back a little bit, show a little feistiness, be cooperative, mm-hmm. be accessible. That was part, that's part of the job. But he does not have to get caught up in all the... Listen, if I was there, I'd be asking negative questions too. I, sure. I did that job too. Uh, right. And I've done it with coaches. I had actually had a, my moments with Tortorella when I was on the Rangers. But Lane's thing is, hey, Lane, don't get caught up in that. You can give your brief answers. This idea that is the team, the answer to the question, is the team fragile? No, it's not. <laughs> and they're not. They're just not that good. And scoring's getting a little tougher to come by. Fragile? Don't let them put those words in your mouth. Mm. Don't you know about grabbing the sticks too tight. Is the message getting through? He did answer that uh, quickly uh, to whoever asked him that last night. But these are the things you're going to be hit with right now and maybe mm-hmm. even again tomorrow night. Don't fall for it, man. You need to stand up and also send a strong public image to your team. He's definitely not buying into the to the negative narrative. I mean, he's definitely defended the team after these losses and said, I thought we played a good game. We yeah. just didn't win. I thought we played a good game. I yeah, I don't always job. love that. I thought, we're, I I thought we're working hard. Well, what is he supposed to say anyway? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, you're right. We suck. <laughs> Let's fold it up. Yeah. Right? So, I, I don't know. I mean, it's he's in a tough spot. And, and I know a lot of people are, if they haven't jumped off the ledge already, they're, they're already teetering towards it because, again, that's the nature of the beast here. But, I mean, you make a valid point, and it's a good one. There's still a lot of season left. But, unfortunately... There's just nothing right now in this last stretch of games that is, that's inspiring the fan base to say, yeah, you know, they can turn around. But but you're right. I mean, teams go through this, and and look, would it really shock anybody if they started scoring goals again and putting a couple of wins together? It wasn't that long ago, buddy, where I was getting replies that, see what happens when you have a coach who lets the guys right. move the puck, who lets right. the DJ. Like, I mean, so I get it. We're fans. You, mm-hmm. if, if I, I wouldn't want everybody to play back everything we've said on this show in the last 12 <laughs> weeks, I guess. God. But, like, we just, this, uh, 
we don't know if this is a bad blip right now that it'll mm-hmm. look back that way. Right. I can't say that this team is done. I get it. They're in the block of mediocrity with all those other teams, mm-hmm. Florida and Buffalo. And I didn't include Washington in there and Pittsburgh. Um, but is it over? No. So let's see what happens. I would keep on working in the youth, give them more responsibility, give them more ice time. The Clutterbuck injury is unfortunate because he was a, he's been a good mm-hmm. Islander, but it is an opportunity now give these guys a chance and listen it's a baby step it would be a level mood move sean but if they get just four points out of eight this week that's two wins they'll start to feel better about themselves and that's important yeah no doubt about it all good points but folks we got a break because we've got adrian o'coin former islander joining us here on the program so i want to thank you all for tuning in here live at twitch.tv slash hockey night ny and of course later on your favorite podcast providers we'll be right back Hey Islander fans, you already know Blue Line Deli and Bagels is the best place to get your game day meal. And now, you can get it at the game. Blue Line Deli and Bagels is proud to be featured in the brand new UBS Arena for all Islander games and live events as an official partner of the New York Islanders. Blue Line is also moving beyond Belmont, opening its doors at 217 Carlton Avenue in East Islip. So whether it's at the Islanders' new home, East Islip, or at the flagship deli at 719 West Jericho Turnpike in Huntington, All three locations are eager to greet you with their familiar, friendly service and the best food around. So stop on in for delicious Bagel Boss bagels, hearty breakfast favorites, tasty hockey-themed heroes, freshly made smoothies, and so much more. And remember, you can always check out the menu and order online at bluelinedeli.com. Blue Line Deli and Bagels. Our goal is to make you a hero. The train rolls on right here on Hockey Night in New York. Welcome back, and we are really happy to be joined by the former Islanders NHL defenseman, Adrian Acoin. Adrian, how you doing, bud? I'm great. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks. It's Chris Botta here with Sean Cuthbert. Uh, Adrian, can you just tell the fans like right now, I know you're busy with your family. Can you just, just give the fans a little bit of an idea of what you're up to these days? Uh, so I'm back in Chicago. Um I know we had the, I believe the alumni weekend was this weekend. I couldn't make it. I have uh, my oldest daughter's back at University of Iowa. She's studying nursing in her last semester. I got my oldest boy playing hockey at Harvard. Um, My next daughter, she's still home. She's heading off to her second semester of freshman at Wisconsin. I was just in Detroit with my middle boy for his hockey tournament or just a couple games. And then my youngest boy had four games here this weekend. So Amazing. keeping busy somehow. Yes, I know you're uh, when I do reach out, I can always tell you, you got a lot going on. So I wanted to first bring you on to so that you could share your experience as a veteran player and an Islander uh, and, and somehow bring it along to what the team is going through right now. They, they've hit. Uh, uh, you've hit a slump here. They're one, five, and three in their last nine. Uh, you were on good teams. Uh, I think of you know the Lavi second season with the Islanders, where there were major bumps along along the way. How does a team try to find its way out when everyone's saying the ship is sinking and trades need to be made? What is it like inside that room, or what was it like inside the rooms that you were with as a player? And how can they try? You know, what are the, some of the things that they could do to get out of it? Yeah, well, I mean, um, I think the worst thing you can do a lot of times is kind of wait for something to happen. You know, you get in that mode where you know guys start talking about potential trades and 
picking up someone and just, okay, when this happens, you know, when there's a shakeup, we'll start to kick it into gear. And that kind of becomes a little bit of a curse. Um, you know, we definitely different situation when I was with the Islanders, even by our third year, I would say we were still kind of creeping up and expectations weren't as high as, you know, the Islanders are now. I mean, they have a good roster, they've got great coaches, management, everything. Um, and we had that, we was just, we were coming still, as you remember, off those dark years where, you know, everything seemed to be kind of, oh, they're doing great. That's awesome. Oh, even though they hit a little bump, oh, it's not so bad. You know, we didn't expect as much. Um, but, you know, for those guys, they, they do have some good veterans in the room. Um, they have some good leadership. You know, obviously they're not scoring a ton of goals, uh, but everybody's playing well. You know, they got great goalies. I think everything's there. And sometimes after Christmas or the holidays, you kind of get these lulls and, you know, I'm hopeful that they can just get, you know, get out of that funk. Yeah. I mean, is there any reason, you know, I, I just trying to make the case before we went to break and put you on that just as other teams like Florida's had their slow starts, they're starting to come on Buffalo's all over the place, Washington and Pittsburgh, that this could be the Islanders funk, but then they get out of it. Have you seen enough of this team in the last three years and this season uh, to give you the reason to believe that they could get out of it? Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, like I said, when you look at their, their top guys, I mean, they have guys that can score who haven't scored a ton. So that's a, that's a positive in a, in a weird way, because you know that they have the ability. So hopefully they're a little bit more puck luck. Um, you know, their, their goaltending is always going to be there. They, they play a great system where they don't allow a ton. So it's just, you know, I think things just have to kind of start clicking and, it could be timing. It could be everything. It could be lineups. It could be, you know, just the line combinations. It could be guys just, you know, maybe guys are playing with bumps and bruises. Like, uh, we, you know, really a lot of times you don't really know. And sometimes you'll get one guy back healthy and that'll change the dynamic of the lineup. As much time now, has, as much time has passed, Adam Pellick has been out of this lineup. He's their yep. best defensive defenseman. I was, yep. You know, they have Dobson and they have Pulak, and this is, a, this is a team with some good defenders. And I started thinking, we actually were talking about only a week or so ago about the group that you had with Kenny Janssen, uh, with yep. Yanni Ninema, uh, with Martinek, um, you know, just such a, such a great group, Roman Hammer. Look, how can I forget the yep. hammer? And I guess my, perhaps the analogy, and you could correct me if there's a better one, would be as if that group, you know, losing Pellick would be like missing Kenny Johnson for four or five weeks. What does as good a group as that might have been? What is that? How does that impact the team when you lose somebody that good? Well, when you lose someone who has been kind of a real, uh, let's say, a glue guy to the lineup, um, who plays that way, obviously it's going to be you know by committee that you have to replace them. There's not going to be one kid you're going to call up or. A lot of times that's when some young guys will step up and, you know, obviously take on a bigger role, but not replaceable. Um, so that, that makes a huge difference. And I think, especially with, you know, the way the game is going with the, the, the scoring and the ability of these forwards to score now, almost at will, you know, across the league, when you take a guy like that out of the lineup, it affects your team and especially even your goaltending. So definitely a, definitely a key, a key loss for the team. Hey, Adrian, Sean here. Uh, absolute pleasure to have you on the show here tonight. Thanks. Yeah, for sure. So, look, the 2001-2002 team was a bit of a resurgence for for this franchise back then. Like, like you actually, I was being nice. <laughs> the resuscitation. <laughs> as, uh, as you referenced earlier, you were coming out out of some dark times there. 
But um, it was a lot of fun for the fans. I mean, there was so much turnover between yourself coming in draft weekend, Alexi Yashin, Michael Pekka, Chris Osgood, Sean Bates, probably some more. And you had a rookie coach in Peter Laviolette. And you guys put it together really quickly. And you, you had, obviously, a very successful season getting back to the playoffs. How did you guys put that together so quickly? Because I think, you know, the fan, fans' expectations obviously went up because of guys like yourself coming in. But the fact that you put it together so quick, you had an 11-1-1-1 record back when there were still ties going on. And uh, how did you guys just manage to, to tie that all together, coming in through camp and everything and having the season that you had? Well, I mean, it really was a group of misfits when you think about it, right? You start with Yashin, who was kind of, I'm not going to say an outcast from Ottawa, but obviously something wasn't working there, right? Pex kind of had his his time in Buffalo was dwindling. Um, I had come from, you know, my first solid, you know, few career years in Vancouver, then went to Tampa, thought I was going to be there for a while, only spent, you know, a cup of coffee there. Then you had guys like Sean Bates, who was, came up from the minors. You had Ozzy, who came in from uh, off waivers, I believe, right? Um, yeah. It was just kind of that makeup of, you know, even like, I, I'm not sure if uh, Perry, Mark Paris is our leading goal scorer, but remember when he got traded, it was like the whole the year before he criticized the fans for not cheering them on. Right. Like there was so many different parts. Right. And then of course, when you look at the decor, like you were talking about, obviously we had Roman Hammerlick, who was like a stud. Kenny Johnson was like a stud that actually some, for some reason, nobody really knew about, or they didn't, I guess, know how good he was. Right. And then, from there, um, you know, obviously a guy like Karen's one of the toughest guys in the league. Uh, then obviously Radic Martinick, who who just became quietly, I say that, you know, tongue in cheek because he never spoke, but quietly <laughs> like one of the, the, the most solid, you know, just steady guys that we had throughout all those years. So there was a lot of kind of weird parts that just clicked, um, you know, and we had. I would say way more character than people kind of realize. And a lot of it was because, you know, I think if you take Yashin out of the mix and probably Pex, who is a Selkie award winner, but I would still kind of dare to say not a number one, true number one line guy. Um, we had a bunch of second through third line guys and some fourth line guys. So we just kind of just kept going and it was almost like, obviously it was enjoyable, but it was almost kind of like a running joke in our locker room because it was like a bunch of guys who had okay careers. And then all of a sudden we were all having career years all at the same time. And it was uh, obviously, I think Lavi had a big part of that. Just, I think he was one of the first coaches at the time that I played that was really like to open it up. And he wanted D-men involved in everything. He, he basically coaches, I think he was a few years ahead of his time then. And um, it, it made for a fun style. And obviously we had a lot of fun on the ice too. Oh, yeah, it was, a, it was a lot of fun watching you guys that year. There's no doubt about it. And that all kind of crescendoed with the first-round series against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Just um, from a fan's point of view, an NHL fan's point of view, what a series to watch. Just, you know, the uh, the hatred that seemed to boil over during the series and the back and forth, every home team win, and it goes to Game 7. What was it like being a part of that season, uh, that series, especially on Long Island, for a, what was a rabid fan base that was waiting to get back to the playoffs? Yeah, well, it was crazy, and it's and it's still to this day crazy to me because it's probably the most talked about series that a team didn't win. I mean, it just <laughs> right people. It was it was by far the most fun hockey I've ever played. Um, you know, for for a lot of guys who hadn't been there before, or guys who had been in playoffs, it was it was just you were thrown into the fire. 
every game was, you know, they're literally, you know, you talk about like blood, sweat, tears. That really was every game. You know, it was ice bags after every game. I remember guys getting IVs after game to try to replenish, you know, rehydrate. Um, it was, you know, obviously for the Islander fan base, it was amazing because they hadn't been there in so long. And I think most of us, like we said, we were kind of the band of misfits coming in. A lot of times playing on the road at the old Coliseum, you'd stay at the Merritt, you'd walk across. There weren't that many fans. The team wasn't doing great. So it was such a huge resurgence. That it was awesome. But add the fact that we were playing against the big, bad Maple Leafs that nobody wants to see win, just brought it to a whole new level. And they had a really good team. They had a tough team too. So it just created such a, a great atmosphere for us. And I'm, you know, like I said, they won, they went on to move and they've played a lot of great hockey since, but for us, lonely little misfits, it was definitely one of our a great memory. And to, to piggyback off that and kind of key on the fans, you know, like you said, they, they come from the dark, the dark days prior, the building was probably empty for the first half of the season or whatever it was. But once the, the wind started coming and then the fans started coming back in droves, how was your experience with the fan base, which, which I'm sure, you know, fully, you know, embraced you guys as you guys started winning and it looked like, wow, we have a team here. We, we got a shot at the playoffs here. How was that? Yeah, well, it's so, you know, I had the luxury of playing for seven different franchises and fans are great everywhere. Like NHL fans are awesome. But I truly believe the Islander fans that were around then were probably the most hardcore fans that I've ever dealt with. And they were so desperate to have, you know, <laughs> that quality of hockey back. And it's true. And it was it was so much fun. I mean, I remember going and doing like a um, like uh, just a fan bowling night with some of these fans and like just meeting them and listen. Like you would literally they would talk the whole a lot of times you go to these places. They want to hear what you have to say. And they're kind of quiet and they're shy. These events were like so fan driven and they were so excited. It was, it was a lot of fun. And um, my personal highlights from a lot of those years were having like Clark Gillies and Bobby Nye around because they were telling us how when they played, a lot of these same fans were there and how we had to kind of like reconnect with them because those other years kind of got lost, you know, on the side tracks and whatnot. So just even having guys like that around, it really helped us to kind of realize how big and how passionate like those, those years were. And what was life like for you and your family on Long Island while you were playing here as well? Uh, well, we loved it. Like I said, it was, it was definitely um, interesting when I got traded there because, you know, I, I believe I was in Tampa at the time, which might've been the 29th place team. And I got traded to the Islanders, which is the 30th place team. And our only recollection of anything having to do with the Islanders was that walk across the, the cold, wet parking lot to Nassau Coliseum. You know, we knew the building was going to be empty. And then you look at the roster that we had. It didn't look great. Um, but then all of a sudden, the next day, Pekka Yashin got traded there. Then all the, you know, everything kind of clicked. Um, so we, we wanted to live close to the rink. We bought a place in Garden City. It was probably the closest I've ever lived to any arena out of all the cities I played in. So the commute was great. It was probably the first time I ever actually hung out with neighbors. You know, for my years in Vancouver, we'd live in condos. You wouldn't see your neighbors. I didn't have kids yet. So I'd go to the rink. I'd hang out with my teammates. So I met some great neighbors in Long Island, and I still actually keep in touch with some of them. We do fantasy football. They're really good people. <laughs> um, and then loved it. And then the lockout year came, and that's when we really fell in love with it because we spent a whole year there just actually getting to enjoy everything about Long Island, you know, with the beaches, the golf, even in the winter, just going into the city sometimes. And it was, uh, it truly was like an amazingly positive experience. 
That's awesome. And speaking of living in Garden City, a little birdie told me that uh, you live near the Millberries. There was a house rented over there by Bates, Cairns, Parrish, and Webb. Maybe uh, you have any stories you can share, maybe hanging out with those guys, having a good time. Off yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, was, I was over there a few times, but a few times I walked over at the time we just had, I believe we just had our third child. Oh, well, last year we had Alyssa. So I had two kids and I'd walk over to the stroller, one of the baby Bjorn and, um, I had to think twice about going in through their door because once you stepped in foot, like your feet might be stuck in something. I remember, I think they had three or four George Foreman grills that I don't even know if they used. That was the only way they could cook stuff. Um, so a lot of times my wife uh, and I, like we, we were obviously good friends with those guys and we would just have them come over to our house. It was so much easier, but a lot of late nights there, um, a lot of broken doors for some reason, because they seem to forget their keys every road trip. And uh, luckily they were on the other side of town in Millbury, so they didn't really cross paths. But <laughs> I used to bump into Mike quite a bit because our kids were at the same uh, preschool together. So that was funny too. And the thing about the, the Bates, Cairns, Parish Web House that I'll never forget, and hopefully you could uh, tell the fans, when they'd get back from a road trip, when we'd get back from a road trip, uh, somehow between the four of them, none of them would have a key to get back in. So what was their, what was their solution uh, to, to getting back well, in the house? They, they did two different things. One, they broke down the door. And a lot of other times they Seems would reasonable. somehow break the garage door. Like I would try to jimmy the lock. It wouldn't work. So they would probably Karen's or Webby, the two mutants, would just like lift it and bust all the you know, the joints and whatever. And then they would honestly, I think they had someone on call the next day who would come and fix whatever they broke to get into their house. Beauties. Just, I love yeah. that. I love that. Yeah. And it was normal. Bring it, we'll just knock it, it we'll just knock it down. And then after practice the next day, we'll figure about. We'll figure yeah. Out. And trust me, no one was going in and robbing them. If you saw that house or at least <laughs> step foot in it. A recurring theme here. And I've, I've enjoyed, uh, uh, having my friend Sean here, who's always been a huge fan of the team, you know, getting to see this narrative is players not wanting to leave this team, that there's a perception yeah. that maybe it's a place people don't want to come to, but players never want to leave. And I know uh, very few people know, I know you shared this a little bit that you, what people don't know is that you weren't going to leave that the year before you wind up becoming an unrestricted free agent and signing elsewhere, you had a chance. Could you please share that with us and, and its impact on you, how you felt about it? Yeah, well, it was definitely, um, you know, a turning point in my career. Um, I would say probably on the downside because the next two years when I signed in Chicago were my two toughest years, probably just, you know, injury wise, playing wise, team wise and everything. Um, so I love, as you know, I said earlier, I love my time with the Islanders. And uh, I was pretty close to Mike and I had a great relation relationship with Mike. So we were already working on, you know, signing for the next year. And of course they kind of came in kind of low. So it was very, I, I wouldn't say it was shocked, but it was a little disheartening, but Mike was like, you know, and I, I'm, I don't know if everybody knows the stories about when prior to me being there, Charles would negotiate contracts saying, we're going to pretend like we've already been negotiating for weeks or months. So when Charles gave a number, that was the last number. All oh right. My. So when Mike gave me a number, I was like, Oh, I guess we're done. You know, this is going to work. And wow. that was prior to the lockout where I still had arbitration rights. So I filed for arbitration 
So I knew I was going to get a year out of it. And we knew that the lockout was coming. So it was hopefully not going to burn a year, but it ended up burning a full year. At the um, arbitration in Toronto, I met with Mike, just myself and my, and our, my agent, Larry Kelly. And we talked, you know, great. Like, like I said, I enjoyed talking with Mike. He was very honest with me all the time. And we actually hammered down a four-year deal. And he was, he honestly seemed to be as excited as I was. So it was great. He goes, I just need to call Charles. Um, God rest his soul. He goes, I need to call Charles and like, just get the green light because this is awesome. Like, it's going to be great for the team because I think a few other players were kind of waiting to see what happened with me. He calls Charles and Charles goes, you know what? You're at arbitration. You're in Toronto. Why don't you just go through with it? And Mike explained to him, like, we're only going to get a year out of this. Like we, we could have them for four years. And Charles like, no, no. Like, this seems like the league kind of can handle this. Go to arbitration. Even in arbitration, Mike was actually, it's going to sound crazy, but he was almost arbitrating for me. Like the lawyers from the league were getting mad at him because he kept saying how much I meant to the team. And, you know, like, you know, because you've heard some of the stories about him making like Tommy Salo cry and all these other Mm -hmm. stories. He was actually great in arbitration. I get the one-year deal. We go through the season. I remember, remember at the time we weren't allowed to talk to owners, management, anything. But I would bump into Mike at, you know, our kids' daycare, so I'd still talk to him. And then when came time to sign, they were, I think I got 17 teams that offered, and Mike came in at the lowest number again. I was like, Mike, come on. Like, this is getting ridiculous. And then I had five teams that offered me the exact contract that I took with Chicago, and I told him that. And then he got mad because he's like, we would have matched it. I'm like, would you? After I told him that I was signed with Chicago. So it was was a little, a little, a little different, but I, I, you know, going back to Boston, what you were saying, yes, if, if Charles would have taken that, I would have stayed with the Islanders gladly for four more years. Well, Adrian, that's a, a little heartbreaking to hear from uh, this fan's yeah. perspective. Sean, Sean uh, picked you on his all-time favorite Islander team. This is true. Actually, I mean, now that we're there, um, so I was in college when you guys uh, were, you know, when that team kind of came to form, right, the 2001, yeah. 2002 and everything, and I actually played club hockey over at Hofstra next door. And I okay. wore number three in honor oh of yourself. Yeah. 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 Uh, oh, wow. You Like, this is uh, this is bringing me to tears right now. A true fan. <laughs> do any of your children, wear, um, number, do any of your children wear number yeah. three? Actually, you know what? They're all 33 because uh-huh. they, they remember me being three. But my last, so when I got traded to Chicago yeah. because of um, Keith Magnuson, nobody could have three. So I took 33, and then when I got to Calgary, I was going to take three again, but Dion Quinnup was three, then I just ended up keeping 33, even though three was by far my favorite number. And it's funny because even, like, my son, when he – my oldest boy who played in the USHL, they gave him 33. Like, he didn't even ask for it. They're like, oh, your dad was 33. Then he's at Harvard now. They gave him 33. He never even asked for it. They just assumed he's going to take it. And I was just talking to my middle boy this weekend, he's like, I think at some point I should change numbers. I'm like, absolutely. He goes, you're not mad. I'm like, no, he goes, I actually, I love three. I'm like, and my middle boy loves the Islanders. He knows everything about him. He's kind of, he's a great little hockey player, but he's still like, he's like a stats guy too. So he knows everything actually before coming on, we were driving back from Detroit today and I was grilling him on all the, uh, all the stats from the current team right now. And he, he knows everybody. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, Adrian, that was uh, that was the first team in my fandom history as an adult yeah. that had any bit of success. 
So I fell in love with that team, and I, I, I'm a defensive myself, so I was like, all right, number yeah. three it is, Adrian O'Coin. I love the, the game that you played, and, and I was a little heartbroken when you ended up leaving the team. So, uh, you know, thanks for sharing that story because I had no idea. Now I'm just even more upset about it. But. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'll be honest. Not not that it wasn't fun, you know, being a free agent and going to Chicago. Right. Like, it was – it's always exciting, something like that, but it was heartbreaking, and my wife was heartbroken too because we literally loved, like – like I said, we had three great hockey years, and then that lockout year, we we had even more fun. Like it was such a fun year, getting to know people and getting to know the community. Um, it was it was a, definitely a little heartbreaking for us. Hey, I got two quick ones for you, and I will let you go. I, I know sure. you're an NFL guy, and you probably got something going on fantasy or whatever with this game here. So um, fantasy's over. Come on, bye. I, I don't. You know what do I know? Um, yeah. Favorite places on Long Island: Shinnecock. What else? Uh, well, one of my good buddies, Tommy from Deepdale. So Deepdale is, uh, is like Uber exclusive. Like I remember back then they're like, Oh, Trump wanted to join. They wouldn't let him join. And I actually didn't even golf there that much. He was a big fishing guy and fishing is more my passion than golf. And he had a boat and he would take, we would go fishing all the time. I remember he took my youngest or at the time, my oldest boy was young back then out fishing. And I would keep in touch with it. Even like when I'd go back to Long Island, sometimes we'd go fishing. Um, so that was beautiful. Obviously the go out on the East coast, like in Shinnecock. So obviously, um, our practice school at Garrett, he's one of the superintendents at, uh, Sabonic. So love going out there. Um, actually it's funny. You mentioned Hofstra. That's I probably ate at Hofstra deli uh, three days a week. At <laughs> least hilarious. like at least it was, <laughs> it was, there was that one. And there was the garden city deli, which I can't remember if that's the name of it. Those were the two places I would walk in and they actually knew who I was. You know, it was funny. They'd always be like, oh, Adrian, how are you? Nice. The only pe- other people that would always recognize me were Ranger fans for some reason. Huh. And they didn't like me, though, but they, they recognized me. <laughs> That's pretty funny. And lastly, uh, back to some hockey advice. As a power play quarterback, I would imagine it would drive you crazy when uh, the slump comes. Right now, the Islanders Oof. are something like three for 52, and everybody's yeah. counting. And I would imagine it gets tougher the more you're asked about it and talk about it and everything that you've gone through. And I'm sure you were through it with your team through the years. What would be your advice to Noah Dops and to Ryan Pulak, to even Matthew Barzal, to put this behind them? Yeah, well, I mean, a little bit of different era, right? I mean, if you remember back in our days, you had me and Hammer just teeing up one-timers the whole time and guys getting out of the way. And to this day, I still talk, love talking about Mark Parrish, who arguably was one of the best puck-tipping players in the world. It's almost like he was just on a different – like he could see the puck coming in in slow motion. Um, whether you had Yash or Pex or Batesy, um, the one year we had Kip Miller, you know, you had Skatch, who was – lined up as a shooter too. Like we, we were a, definitely a shooting power play. So different, different era. Now you see these goals. There's always a pass through the seam. It's back door. It's up top. It's over. It's it, the, the players are so much better now moving the puck and seeing the ice and doing things. But that being said, sometimes you got to simplify, right? And when you have these D that can shoot the puck, sometimes just like blasting away and making them think about it a little bit, because then all of a sudden a lane opens up because they're expecting you to shoot and, I even with the kids that I coach nowadays, I'm like, if you take an early shot, all of a sudden you will see sometimes two, three guys trying to get in that lane, which opens up something else. And then it just kind of alleviates a little bit of the pressure. Well, Adrian, outstanding stuff. Absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much. And uh, please enjoy the rest of your night. Well, thanks, Bots and Sean. 
Awesome meeting you, dude. Thanks, you too. And take, take care. care. Right, best to your family. Have a good one. All right. Thanks, guys. You got it. All right, folks. That was the great Agent O'Coin, former New York Islander, and as you all now know, a personal favorite of mine, number three. So uh, great to have him on. That was excellent. Yeah, no, he's the best. I, I I know when we first mentioned that he was coming on to some fans were like, oh, it's not the time for a trip down memory lane. I'm like, we're not, we're going to, we'll do a little Chris, of that. But I will say you did a very good job kind of looping it into the current yeah. teams. It worked out and, very well. And all of his answers about that were great. You know, we're, we are, we're starting to forget that Pellick's out. I don't know when he's going to be back. The fact that he's skating, you know, is a, is a good sign. Well, Dobson left the game early too. Yesterday. Yeah, so they're going through it when it comes to that. Uh, but particularly on the power play, and I know it's something, you know, but keeping it simple, the minute he mentioned Parrish, and I know Andrews Lee is good at that. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt Martin's pretty good at it. They have the yeah. guys. I would say that is one thing that's possibly missing is this kind of more direct approach, hammer the shots and pull lock adoption. They have two guys who can and uh, get back to real basics here. Something's got to change, but it's funny because every now and then in these power plays, they look good. They look all right. They're moving the puck. They're getting chances. They're just not burying them. They're not finishing. And, and, it, and it, I guess it enhances that argument of they need a finisher. They need to bring a guy in. Yeah. Since this is my first time doing the show, what happens next? Oh, we're going to take a break now, Chris. You look like you could use a break. I could. For about just a minute (laughs) or two. All right, folks. I want to thank you all for tuning in to Hockey Night in New York here at twitch.tv slash hockey night NY and your favorite podcast providers. We'll be right back. Miss the days of mixtapes and arcades? Love the taste of a bold IPA or maybe an ice cold lager? There's a place where all of those magical things come together. Lost Farmer Brewing Company. At 63A East 2nd Street in the heart of Mineola, Lost Farmer combines a love of the 80s and a passion for quality beer to create brews that can only be described as gnarly, radical, and totally tubular. The retro vibe of the tasting bar will amp up your nostalgia while the blend of both local and exotic ingredients amp up your taste buds. Beer not your thing? Crack open a can of cider or sip a Chardonnay on the extended patio. Order up from the snack menu? You can even bring your own. If you're more of a homebody, pick up a growler to go or order online at LostFarmerBrewing.com. And for all of Long Island's hockey fans, Lost Farmer created the delicious Stable Shaker American Lager to celebrate the newly built UBS Arena at Belmont Park. Whether you're at the stable for a hockey game, concert, or a comedy show, you can find Stable Shaker by can and draft around the arena. So raise a cup to the next cup with Lost Farmer Brewery, the future of Long Island craft beer. Hey there, welcome back. We missed you too. Now kick up your feet and settle back in to Hockey Night in New York. Welcome back to the program, ladies and gentlemen. You are watching Hockey Night in New York at twitch.tv slash Hockey Night NY. And we're going to jump right in to what's on tap. Another fun-filled week coming up for the New York Islanders. Four games starting tomorrow. The Islanders go into Toronto to play the Maple Loafs. Maybe that's a game that wakes this team up. We shall see. They go into Ottawa on Wednesday. Then Friday, Saturday, back-to-backs, back at home, Detroit and Vegas before an eight-day break leading into February. So, Chris, that's what's on tap. What do you got? Well, you bring up a great point about Toronto. Uh, As much as Ottawa and Detroit are the more beatable teams of that quartet there, Mm -hmm. Toronto does seem to bring out the best and almost more than the Rangers do lately. Yeah. It always gets Barzal going. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's, uh, you know, we'll be hopeful. Let's put it this way. 
if they crap the bed, if they look uninspired <laughs> against Toronto, okay, then you know, I'm sorry, but maybe we could all regroup here on Tuesday and I'll I'll <laughs> I'll totally uh go back on my calm down, everybody. We got thirty that would be alarming. So uh let's see what happens. Talent does the the Islanders got by so much on structure and defense and effort, but a lot of teams have it. So when the talent is lacking, mm-hmm. it's a problem, and that's what they're running into now against these better teams. So let's let's talk about that point you just made. And you know they have this week. This is a big week for them. This is how they're going to close out January. Then they have an eight day break, right? As I just said, you got the All Star Weekend coming up and all that. Now let's say this is another week that just goes south again. They don't even get that five hundred. They don't get the two and two. It's another bad week. One and three, what have you? You know when and when does because you're going to get into February then by the time the pucks drop on the on the next game. When does the narrative change? When is it okay? To kind of start well, thinking about the, okay, maybe this team doesn't have it. When is it okay? And obviously, in my opinion, because I don't want to, I don't want, I don't speak for everyone. Or of course. Say, what will happen is if they get to only two, three, or fewer points this week, is that the vultures will begin circling. Mm. It's a little bit different with Lou Lamorello in that chair, say, versus Mike, versus Don Maloney, versus uh, other people who have been in that mm. chair, Garth. But all of a sudden, Lou will start to get calls from general managers generously looking to help him out. <laughs> right. By saying, you know, I'll take Varlamov mm-hmm. off your hands, mm-hmm. but not offering equal value. I'll, uh, would you ever consider trading Brock Nelson? Uh, in my opinion, no, I would not. Um, but there'll be a lot of that. But then, but mm-hmm. then, then the process starts. Mm-hmm. Um, might continue over All-Star break. I, you know, Lou doesn't take any days off, so he's going right. to be available. He'll be working it. Um, so, sure, if, <laughs> if they if they come up really short this weekend, mm-hmm. I think the activity will happen. When it's okay, it's okay for anybody to think what they want to think sure. and feel what they want to think. I just, this thing of kind of a Lou must go, and I get it. <laughs> right. I I wrote 137 columns in like 43 days about how Garth Snow shouldn't be general manager anymore. <laughs> so it would be pretty asinine for me to tell it's people true, I read them. <laughs> that they can't chant Lou must go. All I'm saying is that, is that the that was geared toward the end of the season. And uh, thankfully, I, I don't mean that in a vicious way. I just It was the right thing happened and, mm. and Garth went. Lou is not going anytime soon. So... Um, when is it the the right time? You know, listen. It, I don't think they're going to uh, be a disaster this week. I think mm-hmm. they're going to show some signs, and really, all that is is four points, which is not too much to ask. At least four points, mm-hmm. uh, but then we'll regroup there. We'll also have to think about what we uh, want to do with this little hockey show with them not having a game for a week and all that stuff. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. We're okay. going to figure that okay. out. Everything's going to be fine. Okay, I'm sure it will be. <laughs> I have no doubt it will be. But no, look, I understand that the situation's fluid and it depends on where they are in the standings, how many points they're either in or out and all that. But, you know, eventually that's, you know, something that Lou's going to have in the back of his head. Like, okay, it's time to shift gears a little bit here. I saw Kevin Kurz respond to a fan on Twitter who just said, when you're only three points out of a playoff spot, this is not how it works in terms of like, you know, breaking up everything. Uh, I get it because the spirit of the fans, rightfully so, Mm -hmm. is that it looks like we're starting to see enough to be convinced that whatever magic uh, Mr. Trotz had and this team had 
those two glorious seasons, even three, really, if you want to mm-hmm. count Barry's first three, is no longer there. That mm-hmm. uh, so, like, I totally get that reality hitting, and mm-hmm. why that is sad, disappointing, frustrating. This team is life for a lot of people. God bless. I get totally right. get that. Mm-hmm. So, but what's gonna happen? You know, listen. I, I was on Twitter a lot last night, uh, and and when they tied it up two two, it was like you know, it was a lot of rejoicing, right? So right, I get it though. Oh That's yeah, the, the fans are ready to jump back on, but yeah. they just haven't given a reason to do it over the yeah. last week at least, yeah. and that's no, the I problem. Get I get it. Yeah, for sure. All right, so I think that'll do it for what's on tap. So why don't we swing right into Hero of the Week, Ed? Ladies and gentlemen, when you hear this song, that means it's time for Hero of the Week, brought to you by the Blue Line Deli Bagels Half Price Hero, which this week is the Hockey Night in New York featuring grilled chicken, buffalo sauce, fresh mozzarella, avocado, and a wrap, delicious, named after this wonderful show. Stop on in to the Blue Line Deli Bagels flagship location in Huntington, mention Hockey Night in New York, and get half off the Hockey Night in New York. Now, as I said, folks, this is the first show where the Islanders have not won a game in the games leading up to the show. This so. Yeah, this season, correct. So there's really no hero, heroics to, to dole out. But Ed would never Ed hit that spot. You know what? Better He's in the running. So I he wasn't is gonna, in the running. I'm in the running. I wasn't <laughs> going to have a hero, but I, I'm saying my like when you play that back tomorrow, yeah. Yeah. he just nailed that. He was so, at the ready. Yeah. I mean, he was sleepy last week, and now he's at the ready this week. I was, I was like, oh. <laughs> um, Must be that kombucha drink you were it drinking is. before. We didn't have apple pie, but I damn sure made it but work. But as for you, Sean, do you have a hero of the week? So I think uh, collectively we can we can go with this. And, and I actually kind of tongue-in-cheekly, if that's a phrase, mm-hmm. last night after the loss said, all right, guys, Nominees for the Hero of the Week. I threw it out to Twitter, and uh, there was a majority response, and that was Islander fans for putting up with the dreck (laughs) that has been the Islanders lately. And you know what? We're going to throw it out to the New York Islander fans. Folks, listen, they opened up the new building. You guys packed it out. You sold out season tickets in the first year. It was obviously a a rough debut. Now they're kind of going through it a little bit right now this season, kind of hanging the balance here. We don't know if it's going to go one way or the other. Uh, hopefully we can keep some positivity. Hopefully they can pick up a couple of points this week. So I went to three games last year. Keep interrupting me, Chris. I thought you were done. I wasn't. Oh, so go ahead. Go <laughs> no, no, finish. Go ahead. So my question for you is, so I have, but I haven't been to a game yet this year. I'm going to be getting there soon. Um, what, what, regardless of whatever they say, the attendance is paid attendance, hundred percent, 97%, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Uh, overall, what would you say it's looked like uh, during the season in terms of uh, volume of fans and also uh, enthusiasm? There have been a couple of nights where you could tell there was some empty seats, but I would say the majority of games that I've gone to, they fill up, even if it's not right away. That's great. Yeah. It's sometimes last to night on TV. Last night was a good turnout. There was a lot of fans in the seats last night. And that's impressive because yeah. the football giants were having a game. I was actually thinking maybe there would be some, some notion. Yeah, from what I saw, it looked like it was it was pretty filled up. If that's you great. guys want to contradict me in the chat, let me know. Yeah. But it looked, it looked yeah. full up to me. But, you know, it's interesting you ask about the enthusiasm. I don't hear as many "Let's Go Islander" chances as I used to. I can say that now. And maybe, you don't just mean these last two weeks. You mean I mean, generally. yeah, generally speaking, yeah. I think this season. Uh, I haven't heard. Now, look, maybe it's going on in another corner of the building, and I'm not hearing it. Sometimes you kind of need more people to get involved. But I think that kind of speaks to what I'm trying to say here: is that the chance aren't filling the building as 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 much as I I can remember. 
and I understand it. I mean, look, it's it's tough to to get a chant going when you're when you're trailing or when you're down mm-hmm. and you give up a couple of goals, of course. But uh, it has been a little different. But the fans are still showing up. And look, you know as well as I do, they're just waiting for the wins and they're waiting to jump back in. And hopefully, they give them a reason to. Yeah, I think in terms of the sound, it's always been natural. Anytime a team gets a new building because they're so cushy in some ways that the reason why I asked you about the attendance is sometimes when the games come on at least a few minutes into the period it still looks like there's empty seats but behind the benches and I know those people have access to clubs or they're at that bar right at center ice so it's it's tough to judge but you know it's good to see that the fans are showing up the enthusiasm's there and I really look forward to checking it out myself one little side note and I maybe a lot of people did point this out didn't it seem like a? I don't want to make a too big a deal. Of this mm-hmm. I'm just fascinated from a front office perspective. Uh-huh. Isn't it a little bit of a disconnect to have Eddie Westfall, Bobby Nice, from all those guys drop the puck? It's alumni night, and they wore the fisherman jersey. No, they wore the white homes last night. Yeah. Oh, they did not wear the fisherman. Oh, okay. they wore the white. In fact, then I, there that explains every them. every alumni that they had there I last saw. night was wearing the. And I said white homes, the white roads now. But gotcha. yeah, they wore the white jerseys. Oh, that's funny. I saw a picture and it just made me think that they were in the fisherman. I was like, no, but I, okay. but to Good. your point, I'm, I'm totally but to your point on the disconnect though is that they only had you know the um, elder alumni come out for the puck drop. They didn't bring any more of the the current alumni out now whether that's a good thing or not i mean i don't really care well maybe they just you know, you. they could only have so many people out on the ice after the same right they could have picked and chose a, a couple from here and yeah. there but they did have a good turnout they had they had a basically a whole row of players from each decade they honored them basically during every uh commercial right. break and i saw casperitis there yes. and delgar it's just nice to see uh different people there i think what maybe would have thrown me off i'd seen a picture of like nye and Casper on the train, and mm-hmm. Sparky, I think, was wearing the fisherman jersey. It's or, okay. We don't make mistakes. That's what threw me off. I'm totally glad to be wrong. Cut this out of the podcast if you can. Thank no, you. No, we're, we're going to keep that. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to keep your mistake. That's for sure. So, folks, uh, Islander fans, we salute you. Hopefully, uh, the Islanders get it, get it back together so you're rooting a little louder. But, um, yes, through thick and thin, you guys have, uh, especially you diehards out there, you're always there. So, uh Big salute to Islander fans, and hopefully uh, we're saluting some players next week because uh, they actually did something good this week. So there you have it. Hero of the Week, stop in to the Blue Line Deli and Bagels flagship location in Huntington. Mention Hockey Night New York and get half off the Hockey Night in New York wrap. And with that, let's go straight to Questions Brewing. Look at you, buddy. It's time Jesus. for Questions Brewing. I love fire. it. Brought to you by Lost Farmer Brewing Company. So first and foremost, Ed J, how are we doing over there, guys? We're doing great. Yeah, yeah it's a good night. Excellent, yeah, excellent. Nice. Feeling spry, feeling good. Yes. <laughs> excellent. <laughs> Love to hear that. Nice shout out, Jay. Thumb. Yes, yes. How's the chat looking? We got some questions. We we have very few questions. We are active, okay. but it's it to okay. me. It's more of a frustrations brewing tonight. Understood. Than, uh, okay, a little venting brewing. session. Yeah, it's a venting session. Got it. Sure. Okay. I'm sorry. I need uh, to. I need to stop for a second. Look, what do you uh, got? What is that? That's a clip from last night's game, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. What are they wearing? The Islanders themselves are wearing the fishermen. Yes. That's I thought what, you that's me- what I meant. I thought you meant the alumni. <laughs> You're talking about nice Westfall. A fisherman jersey. Oh, my that's God. That's what I meant. Well, look, Chris. Now, here's, here's the – you're redeemed. Do you not think that – you don't think that's a bit odd? They, they, they scheduled the games. Mm-hmm. They knew that was going to be alumni night. That okay. I don't think it's a little bit odd that of the 50-year history – they wore the, the current team wore the jersey, the throwback jersey 
that the team wore for a year and a half or whatever it was. I could see why you probably involved in those decisions would, would look at it that way. I, I completely get okay. that, but that did not even occur to me. Okay. Didn't bother me at all. To the fans in chat, what did you think of the team wearing the fisherman jersey last night? Give it to me straight. No big deal. That's fine. It's not a big deal. I just think it's an odd disconnect. Yeah. We'll see if we have okay. opinions by the end of this. Okay. Uh, but we're going to kick it off with T-Boyle 13. <laughs> T-Boyle 13. He's like Stan Fischl, the question's brewing. He always gets the first question. I love it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so T-Boyle 13 says, I know it doesn't happen often, but could you see Aho playing forward? No. No. Uh, no. 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 I do not. I think, so. <laughs> no, I not. Uh, I think uh, you know, besides. Who is. And, and, and by the way, that has. They have done that before. Berard did it. Played, uh, Berard did it. Hickey did it briefly. Yeah. Um, I think they like Sebastian Aho uh, very much. Uh, some struggles, uh, like everybody else in these last nine plus games aside. Uh, but no, I don't, I don't see that. They need him on D. Uh, one thing I've started to see, uh, and I'll always say I'm not the analyst here, so I'm always interested in what fans are saying. Mm-hmm. Um, fans have been down on Scott Mayfield lately. He's had some rough games. What say you? I say, <laughs> as a fan, Chris, I say that, yeah, he actually has had some rough yeah, games. I already uh, hear that. I'm trying to remember which night it was, but I, you know, me being the sarcastic individual that I am, I said that he scored the first, it was that goal, it was that game where he scored the first goal, it was like a floater, and it, he ended up having a rough game that night, he had a couple of giveaways, take, you know, and it, and he led, basically a player two that he made led to some goals against it, essentially, you know, helped them in losing that game, and I think he's had a recent stretch where it's been a little rough for him, or maybe even taken some undisciplined penalties that he hasn't needed to, so uh, look, I'm not trying to get on the guy's back or anything, I, I like Scott Mayfield, but uh, he has had a couple of rough games here. Okay. Yeah. I wonder if he will be traded, and, regardless of how the team. And does. Tom, I get where the question's coming from because Aho is showing more offensive ability and maybe a little, little rough around the edges on the defensive side, especially with that, uh, that t- that giveaway that he had last night against Carolina. That was kind of a, a backbreaker goal for them. But uh, I, I think uh, when with all things being with equal and normal, that uh, he's going to remain a defenseman. Yeah. Next we, up, we need to see Ratu moved up. And yeah. see more playing time. Tom yes. also said in uh, all caps, "Fire Lou." So uh, that's for Mister Bada. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that uh, that sounds on brand for Tom yes. Boyle. Uh, just every week we gotta we gotta let him I know. Get, I get it. Uh, I'm turning this one for the off season. This, the Islanders this next one, is... Scott Malkin will make that decision by himself, mm-hmm. and uh, and it, you know it could happen in the off season. Uh, this next one, I'm going to turn into a questions brewing. New Wave Halifax says a lot of the players wanted to be unleashed. From Trotz's defense first system, well, how's that working out for you, Matt Barzal? I think that's a, a beautiful point uh, from the man from Halifax. You know, all that stuff is such garbage. And by the way, you know, we should be clear that that's been rumored, right? That's and sometimes these things that become rumored then become fact. Like fans would say, "Well, didn't you hear the players wanted Trotz to, you know, wanted out from Trotz, whatever." Mm. It always comes back to bite you. Um, <laughs> the the Islanders, uh, after their second season of La Violette, they, uh, and Peter knows this, is fairly well documented, had things to say about Peter, and Peter was let go. And, and it's mm. unfortunate. Peter wasn't going to be coached for this team for 20 years. Uh, he deserved to be coached longer. I, Agreed. I thought he didn't deserve to be fired, mm-hmm. of course. But 
you know, where does that get you? And by the way, this goes on everywhere. This isn't an Islanders thing. Um, well, look what got, happened up in Vancouver. Yeah. Well, I, I, it's and by the way, I still, and, and, and the Bruce Boudreaux thing is, is beyond absurd, but I still think of Travis Green, partially because we know him, but he was just a year ago, and, you know, Boudreaux did okay in the beginning, and then things went bad. I, that just it, It's nice to see dysfunction elsewhere. elsewhere. <laughs> yeah. I know it's starting to creep in a little bit down. There's, I consider it more bad mm. luck. I used the DeFore thing as an example. I didn't uh. see anybody complain about them calling up DeFore the day it was. In fact, I saw a lot of celebration. By the mm. end of the game, it didn't go well. It went about as badly as <laughs> right. possible. Yeah, I was going to bring they, that up. At actually. least they cut it off and mm. they send them back. Right. And that'll probably be it for a little while. Right. Uh, those but, kind but if of, he those, doesn't develop, kind of that's gonna that, everybody's gonna point to that. <laughs> I will say, GMs and coaches they get hot and cold hands, just mm. like players do. And sure. um, you know, I again, I think they're in the middle of something where things just aren't working around, working out. They need a turn in fortune, and perhaps it'll come this week. But we'll see. I, I know that hope is not a strategy. Mike forty six fifty two. Comparing the times when the Isles were winning games by constant hustle, forecheck, and desperation, the current team doesn't look anything like that. Care to speculate why? So let me ask you, uh, thank you for the question, and I'll ask this of Sean. Do you think that work ethic and hustle is a problem with this team? I don't think it's work ethic and hustle. I think it's a combination of not being able to finish. I think it's... Also, just they have opened up the offense, or try to, I should say. And it's also allowed for a little bit of liability on the defensive side of things. And I mean that not only the defensemen literally, but also on the forward end of things. And and they've kind of gotten in their own way with, with where you see some of these plays where they're not marking the right guy, and it's a more of a more of a brain fart or a missed assignment. Like you had a little scramble even last night in the game where you know a guy gets left open in the slot or just in front of the net, and you're saying you know where's the coverage there? And sometimes that just comes with tracking the puck, following the guy who has the puck, and losing sight of the guy in your periphery or behind you that you're supposed to be marking in front of the net. And I think we've seen a little more of that this year than we did under trots. I think that's been a little more of a problem for this team where, I mean, I always, I overuse the phrase well-oiled machine when during the, uh, the success of the Barry trots years. And they really were, they knew where to be, where to go, how to mark their guys. And I mean, look, it became kind of like an art form for that team where they knew how to just shut down the other team's offense, where even if they were getting opportunities against in their own zone, they were pretty quick out heading the other way. Or if maybe even they were even thwarting the chances in the, in the neutral zone. The fact of the matter is, is that they just did a much better job of kind of playing the puck back the other way. Whereas with this version of the team, and, and certainly last year's version of the team, they kind of end up getting in their own way. They're spending more time in their zone. And it just looks more like missed marks. But I don't think there's a lack of effort. I don't think there's a lack of desire or hustle. I think these guys are are coming prepared to play the game. But it's so funny. Like, I'll see uh, on social media, you know, they'll, they'll show pictures of, of warm-ups, and the Islanders will say, ready to go tonight. And I'll be like, are you? <laughs> After all those first periods, I'll be like, might not, might not be the best uh, phrasing you want to use here, especially with all these uh, bad first periods that you had. But, you know, coming out slow in the first period aside, I don't literally think that these guys are dogging it. Mm-hmm. I'm intrigued by something. Barry Trotz is not coming back this season. Uh, you know, we had some fun a few weeks ago where I brought mm. up about how he he might be the he would be the best available coach 
in the off season, and I know it's well right documented. Now. It's documented, well documented that he he has said himself mm-hmm. that he would like to have some interest in player personnel, not necessarily mm-hmm. be a GM. I've never heard him say that. Mm-hmm. But before this slide, Lamorello did interviews, uh, and so did Barry Trotz, where they both said they they said that they were uh, remained good friends, mm-hmm. that it was a positive experience. Mm-hmm. And they both said, uh, Trotz in particular, that he talks to Lou regularly. Hmm. Now, add that. Post. Correct. He continues to do present. Okay, okay. I'm I'm giving you this for a fact. These are things that have been said and are happening. We also know that Lane and Barry are close. Yeah. That there was no breakup. You know, when Trotz left Washington, it was pretty clear with Todd Reardon who wound up replacing him, yeah. including uh, not the warmest of handshakes uh, right. after uh, uh, after he beat Reardon's team. Mm-hmm. Um, that there was, but that's not what's going on here. They are friends. They are uh, so on a day like today, for example, or. If you, if they get you know if they can get through this week during mm-hmm. the long week off, like I would think that he's getting paid. Barry is not obligated, but what the hell is he talking to Lou Lamorello about, right? Like Fair I question. mean, if they're talking regularly, tea like, times. Let's like, I say let's say Lou doesn't do that for starters, uh. and <laughs> and um, like you would think they would talk hockey, so mm. they'll never say this publicly, mm-hmm. but you would like to think. Just like Lou Lamorell, we've mentioned this several times before, has always leaned on Jacques Lemaire as an advisor. Right. He's an advisor for the coaching aspect, right. let's be honest. Yeah. Um, that Barry Trotz you know, might have some recommendations or is going to, mm. and you should absolutely utilize them. He's under contract. Well, listen, Chris, I know you don't really generally agree with this because I know we kind of touched on it a while ago, but I'm still not convinced that that was strictly just a Lula Murillo was firing Barry Trotz. I'm still not convinced that's the case. I still think that there was maybe a little more to that we'll probably never hear about. And again, maybe I'm tinfoil hatting this a little bit, but I think Barry might have had something to do with that decision. And maybe that's why they still talk. And, and, (laughs) And I don't. So I don't know what else to say on that. I, and, you know, it's another thing that the fans love to throw back at me. You don't know they had an agreement. Barry needed time. Well, yeah. Barry, how to, do you explain the fact that Barry went on coaching job interviews in the weeks after that with more than a few teams? I get it. Mm-hmm. He didn't take the Winnipeg deal. Mm-hmm. The idea that he's from there doesn't just doesn't necessarily. He's got a home in Tennessee now. Like he mm-hmm. he loves Winnipeg. He doesn't necessarily want to work there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But his actions after I never believed that. I thought it was uh, it's just something that fans invented and became something that took on a life of its own. Mm-hmm. Uh, has never been verified, even in the closest. And then he went on job interviews. Okay. Fair enough. If if Philadelphia gave him everything he wanted, which mm-hmm. would my guess would be five years and a shit ton of money and player sure. personnel right. responsibility. In other words, you can't have Bob Paul Holmgren and Bobby Clark and all the alumni who were still working mm-hmm. in this organization mm-hmm. around. I'm just hype, saying that. Hype sure, sure, sure. If they had given it to him, he was going to take it. He, he's he's got better things to do than go on job interviews and waste people's time. Okay. And I, you know, yes, selfishly, part of me was hoping he would take another job just so we could end that that speculation but i respect your point of view sean as i do chris all the fans as well that's very nice of you thank you so much
<laughs> Ed, do we have any other questions remaining in questions, Bruin? Well, I'd like to tie this up potentially with the uh, the jury on the fisherman that we were talking about. Oh, right. okay, so yeah, great. We're, we're gonna great. we're gonna start off with CGS eight seven eight says alumni love that fisherman piece of shit, <laughs> but we don't. The, and the alumni don't. <laughs> the alumni don't. Okay, going right into it. Don't like this version of the fisherman at all. Okay, wave Halifax. Okay. T. Boyle says, the fisherman is starting to grow on me. Hey, there we go. Fisherman All right, coming around. Lights. Coming lights. around. But Coach Lambert coming in. I agree. Fish stick jersey was an odd choice for last night. Okay. Yeah. Same yeah, odd. until you raised the point. I didn't even think of it. I mean, it makes sense. I, I get where you're coming from. That totally makes sense. But, like, you know, I, I it just didn't even strike me until you until you brought it up. Like, it just happened to be the night where they decided to throw on the fisherman jerseys. I don't even know, you know, what's the rhyme or reason behind choosing the Knights for that? You anyway. have all these cup winners and Ed Westfall, who's kind of, you know, wasn't exactly on mm-hmm. that team, but they're all lined up for the ceremonial face-off in mm-hmm. their jersey. They're basically the jersey they won the four straight Stanley Cups in, mm-hmm. and the Islanders current Islanders sitting there in the fisherman jersey just seemed really odd to me and there's no reason for that there's no excuse or reason for that disconnect they they Mm. knew when the alumni were coming yeah yeah, those things are mapped out months in advance okay yeah i would say that's just a merchandise choice like promoting i mean every time they wear it it is but well i'll tell you what even though the majority of the uh (laughs) the few guys that we have in the chat there it is selling like hotcakes because i'm seeing it all over the concourse in the stands. I love it. That's it, not, that's it is not embraced, my, but, but that wasn't my argument. I, I, that's, that's all cool and great. And, and yeah, no, and, this, and, is and a, the, this is this yeah, is side. It was literally just like why that night? If you're yeah, wearing yeah. it eight times or something like that at home, why right. why is it why that night? That's okay. So Ed, that'll do it for uh, questions, bro. Uh, we can get one more name if we have the time. If, if you got it, all yeah, right. Sure. Uh, well, New Real Wave quick. Halifax got in another one. Okay, sure. Loved it. I turned his Matt Barzal thing into a question earlier. Can the Islanders still play? Shut down D to keep Toronto to three or fewer goals this week. It sounds like our man from Halifax is thinking about putting money on the game. That's that's what that maybe like maybe it's, it's a very specific right. question. Can, can they make the under? <laughs> is the question. Do you think total they could hold to five and a half? <laughs> right. Go ahead. Can they? Yeah. Lately, who's playing goal? No. Uh, <laughs> there you have it. No. I don't know, actually. I don't know who's playing goal. But uh, I, I think they go back to Sorokin. The that back, poor man. The back-to-backs are not until Friday, Saturday, right? They're Friday, Saturday at home. So it's Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. Yes, okay. the ba- yeah, yeah, yeah. Despite the losses, Sorokin's playing well. Go, yeah, you have to go with your number one yeah. for three of those games. And you saw those numbers uh, when they were last pointed out. I think that changes after last night. But at one point, they were 5-4-4. Four, and four, And his numbers are off the charts. I mean, how do you, he's got... Nine losses, eight losses, or whatever it was, going to giving up two or less goals. And they congratulations just to him and to Brock Nelson, two very deserving all stars. So I actually think they got it right. Yeah, the fans, the league. I, I thought they got it right. Agreed. Those, those two guys deserve to be there. So that'll do it for questions, Bruin. Thanks so much for chiming in, hanging out with us. That was a lot of fun, and that's going to do it for the show as well. So Ed, cue it up, man. Let's get out of here. All right, folks, I want to thank you all for tuning in to Hockey Night in New York here at twitch.tv slash Hockey Night NY and, of course, your favorite podcast providers later on. A huge thanks goes out to Asian O'Coin for joining us tonight. Excellent spot from him. Fantastic. And, of course, a huge thanks to our sponsors, starting with Blue Line Deli and Bagels, flagship location located at 718 West Jericho Turnpike in Huntington. Check them out at bluelinedeli.com. 
A big thanks to Lost Farmer Brewing Company located at 63A 2nd Street in Mineola. Check them out at lostfarmerbrewingcompany.com. And a big, big thanks to Main Street Board Game Cafe located at 307 Main Street in Huntington Village. Check them out at mainstboardgamecafe.com. Chris, once again, where can we find you on Twitter? At Chris Bada NHL. You can find me at Shawnee Hockey. You can find the show at Hockey Night NY at Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok if you're into that sort of thing. Remember, folks, if you dig what we're doing here, rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, spread the word, let them know that Hockey Night in New York is the place to be for Islander Talk here every week, Sunday nights at Floored Media in Rockville Center. For Jay, for Ed, for Mr. Chris Bottom, my name is Sean Cuthbert. We've been Hockey Night in New York. Have yourselves a great rest of your Sunday nights.